thank you very much, Steve, for reading uh, for us this morning. I wonder if I wonder if any of you spotted um, who didn't get the memo. It's Palm Sunday. I don't think it was Matthew because I mean he bought a bike. Uh, a ride on horse and a jester's hat. So it's not a comment about that. Uh, it's not a comment about palm crosses, although I did realise yesterday on my day off, I haven't had a conversation about any anybody with uh, Do we have any? It turns out we do. The Lord has provided, uh, probably through one of our church wardens. Uh, who didn't get the memo? Well, I don't know if you spotted it. It's, it's Luke in our reading. Where are the palms? Where are the branches in the reading? There aren't any, are there? No, no, I wonder if you spotted that. Uh, instead, um, for some reason, Luke seems less bothered about palm branches, and he instead, verse 36, what does he tell us? He tells us that as Jesus went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. People were reaching in that crowd for the things to hand, whether it was branches off the tree, whether it was, whether it was the clothes off their back, and they start off. What's to hand? And they lay it down on the ground for Jesus uh, to walk on. They're so excited. This crowd is so excited. Such honour they want to give to Jesus. They strip off their, their jumpers and instead of the uh, football fans, sort of uh, the footballers um, swinging uh, their shirts above their head in celebration, they lay them down on the floor for Jesus to walk on. If you like, we've reached a moment where if this passage were a bottle of fizzy drink, it's been shaken up. And this is the moment the lid comes off and it bursts out. Verse 37. Uh, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So why is this festival-style, trophy-winning anticipation turned into excitement and celebration? Why is it suddenly burst out? Well, I think, think about the times you travel to the coast. You get in the car, and as you start to near your destination, that sense of anticipation starts to bubble up. And then it turns into excitement, doesn't it? The moment you see the... Good, I'm not the only one. Reassuring. Back, at, back in the end of Luke 9, we're told Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Over the last 10 chapters, we've been traveling uh, with Jesus. And as he's spoken and the things he's done has begun to, I don't know, something's brewing. Something big, we feel, is going to happen in Jerusalem. Something big is going to go down. Now, in verse 28, we're told that Jesus starts going up to Jerusalem. Verse 29, we're told. Uh, they get to the Mount of Olives, that high point where they can look out and they can finally see Jerusalem. Uh, and then towards the end of the passage, verse 37, uh, they begin on that final road down into Jerusalem. This is the big Jerusalem moment. This is the time something big is going to happen. Anticipation turns to excitement and the, the crowd shout out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Those words the crowd shout out in verse uh, 38, they tell us what this Sunday is all about. Do you know what? It's, it's not really about palm crosses. It's not really about clothes being strewn on the ground. It's about Jesus being the king who brings peace. Jesus being the king who brings peace. And notice as the crowd are shouting out, 
Jesus doesn't turn to them and, and tell them to be quiet. In fact, when the Pharisees say to Jesus, you need to shut your disciples up, what does he say? He says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry. Even the stones will cry out. Why? Because what the disciples are shouting out is completely and totally and utterly correct. Jesus is the king. He brings peace. Now, Jesus' disciples might not have fully grasped all that that meant. They might not have fully understood what kind of king Jesus is or the kind of peace he brings. But notice how Jesus doesn't suddenly go, come on, guys, you need to sit down. Let me explain it all. Any questions? Is everything clear? He doesn't do that, does he? So if you're here this morning and you kind of feel like, well, I kind of want to follow Jesus, but I just need all my questions answered. Jesus doesn't necessarily expect that for you. He doesn't seem to expect it uh, from this crowd. And also, if you're here this morning and, and, and feel like you've got to wait for a big dramatic moment to happen in your life from God before you can follow Jesus. Uh, yes, this crowd have probably witnessed and seen Jesus do miracles. doesn't mean they've all had a miracle happen in their lives. They've not had the big Jerusalem moment that they're expecting yet. They're still on the slip road. And perhaps this morning, as you're here with your questions, as you're here and looking around and going, there's a lack of drama going on. Perhaps even now, this is the moment to join the crowd of Jesus' disciples, maybe even for the first time, because Jesus is the king who brings peace. Jesus is the king. And perhaps we see it most clearly here, because having traveled with Jesus for the last little while, chapter after chapter, over many miles, traveling to Jerusalem, he's walked everywhere. He's gone everywhere by foot. Now suddenly Jesus is in sight, uh, Jerusalem is in sight, and what do we see Jesus? We see him perched on a colt, don't we? And this crowd, look at him. They see Jerusalem, they see Jesus perched on a colt, suddenly Jesus is looking like the victorious warrior king that Zechariah promised, the prophet promised in Zechariah 9. And then I wonder, as, um, as Sue was reading these verses earlier on, did it strike you as strange just how many times it's told about untying this cult? You know, four times, about three or four verses, we're told that this, this cult would need to be untied. When Jesus said to his disciples to go, he gave them the answer. If anyone, if anyone asks you why you're untying this cult, you're to reply, the Lord needs it. See, there's a promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 49 of a king in the line of Judah, a lion of Judah, who we're told would one day tie his donkey to a vine. Now the king's turned up to untie it. Or we, we might go back to somewhere like 2 Kings chapter 9, uh, when at this point God's people are split into two. There's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. Uh, and the one mostly faithful king in the northern kingdom, uh, Jehu, he's, he's anointed to be king. And it's done in a massive rush. And when the people realize suddenly this is the man, he's the king, they take what they have to hand. They take their coats off, their jumpers off, and they lay them on the ground for King Jehu to walk on. There's a few things we're told about King Jehu. Uh, first, and least importantly, very matter-of-factly, we're told that he drove his chariot like a maniac. 
actually says that in 2 Kings 9, but we're more importantly told that he tried to bring peace to God's people by wiping out their enemies and destroying false religion and false worship. And if you hear last week, didn't the passage end? Luke 19, verse 27, with Jesus talking about what might happen to enemies. Jesus is the king. He's the, the promised victorious warrior king of Zechariah. He's the lion of Judah. He's, he's the enemy-destroying, peace-bringing king like Jehu. You can just imagine how over years and generations this, this promise has been passed down. Your parents telling their children, your children telling their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. When the moments of frustration, the moments when the, the tears flowed, that promise, one day my child. One day, my child, God's king, will come and set everything right. And here he is. A king probably even greater than the, perhaps the crowd realized in the moment. Because Jesus is the king of creation. When the Pharisees tell Jesus to get his disciples to pipe down with their shouting, notice he, he says, well, if they, they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Why will the stones cry out? Because the stones are recognizing their creator. These stones might have recognized Jesus as the king. But as Jesus enters in Jerusalem, most of God's people, it seems, did not. We have the Pharisees. They're put out by what's going on. Offended. Later on, verse 47, we're told, that the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the leaders among the people were trying to, to kill Jesus. And perhaps that makes sense then when we read in verse 42 of Jesus, uh, speaking of, of Jerusalem, if, if you, even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Instead of peace, the city of God's people would get a taster of destruction instead. Because the reality is people are free to choose Jesus as king. And we heard it last week. You can choose to reject Jesus as king. But it doesn't work out well for you. You can reject Jesus as king. But that's like saying you don't accept gravity when you're halfway up a ladder. The crowd's response to Jesus is absolutely right. And so they, they reach for words in their kind of in their culture and in their history to, to express themselves, words from Psalm 118, to welcome Jesus gladly as king into Jerusalem. Two weeks ago, if you were here, uh, we had Zacchaeus' encounter. You know, Zacchaeus, he goes up the tree to get uh, a sight of Jesus. Uh, we heard of his encounter uh, with Jesus. And something really struck me uh, when we were in that, that story. Um, Jesus spots Zacchaeus in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Come down straight away. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And then we're told, so Zacchaeus came down at once. And this is, this is what struck me. And welcome Jesus gladly. He welcomed Jesus gladly. The right response to Jesus as king is to welcome him as king gladly. To welcome Jesus gladly into every part and every corner of our lives. From our time to our technology to our daydreams and our disappointments. Our emotions our earnings, our workplaces, our words, our spreadsheets, our bedsheets, our friendships, our fitness, every corner of our lives. We're to welcome Jesus as King gladly. I wonder for you, 
What's the area of life this morning that feels like the Holy Spirit's just putting his finger on? Saying that that's an area of your life you need to welcome Jesus in as King gladly. So you might say over that area of your life, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you know what the result of Jesus coming in as King is you welcome him in gladly? It's peace. It's peace because Jesus is the King who brings peace. He brings us peace. That's the second half of the crowd shout, isn't it, in verse 38, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And if you're kind of sitting there going, hey, hey, familiar, those, those words sound familiar. It was the angel's song, wasn't it, to the shepherds, announcing Jesus' birth. And as Jesus heads from his death, a crowd of his disciples uh, cry out of peace and glory. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem as king, he is carrying the people's expectation the crowd's expectation that he would come to wipe out their enemies, to restore true worship of God. If, if Jesus was walking into town today, I wonder what our expectations would be. If that was their expectation of what would bring peace, what, what would be our expectation for peace? Is it an end to the tensions and conflicts between different nations and people groups? Is it an end to war? Is it an end to worry? Is it an end to waste? Is it as simply as just getting a break from it all? Or a moment's peace and quiet? Or is it, is it just having a sense of peace from what's going on out there? Or a peace from the people who are around us? Or a sense of peace from what's going on inside our lives? The Bible's idea of peace holds together several things. The kind of idea of wholeness and completeness, of rest and safety. Uh, of harmony, of life as it's meant to be, life with everything set right. Isn't that something we want? Well, Jesus looks at us and says, it's not just something you want, it's something you need. And not just some of it, you need all of it. That's why what Jesus does next surely has got to take us by surprise. Here comes Zechariah's victorious warrior king, the Lion of Judah, the kind of one a bit like Jehu comes in and we're expecting a battle cry. We're expecting a great speech or a great announcement. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. He weeps. Verse 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, saw the city, he wept over it. If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace. Yes, what was needed was a defeat of the enemies of God's people. And yes, for the restoration of true worship. Do you know what? That required something far greater than booting the Roman occupying forces out and a few tweaks to the worshipping life of Israel. And it's a lesson to us. It's so easy in our lives to think peace will come through simple solutions. But it turns out those simple solutions often are sticking plasters. They're useful in a moment, but they don't bring lasting peace. You know, we think as long as I get the right breathing technique, if I can empty my mind of all the things that are worrying me, if I can escape from it all, from it all, if I can campaign to make things different, if we can find a way of getting those people who oppose each other together, talking and working together, that will bring peace. All those things are good things, but none of them will lead to lasting peace. We need something far bigger. We need something in cosmic scale. We need to be brought back to God again. 
We need to have peace with our maker. We need to have peace with our creator. We need to know his will. We need to know his ways. And so it's no accident, I think, that Luke records for us what happens next for Jesus in Jerusalem, verse 45. Jesus enters into the temple courts and began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. A visual picture that Jesus has come to restore a true worship of God. Ultimately, it's not going to be at the temple. It's going to be at the true temple of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the one who clears out everything that gets in the way so that we can draw near to God. We can have peace with our maker. And he's the one who teaches God's ways and God's will. So much so that we see at the end of verse 48, all the people hung on his words. See, we need a king who, instead of looking like he wins, turns up and weeps. We need a king who arrives in Jerusalem on a colt and exits Jerusalem carrying a cross. We need a king whose death looks like defeat, and it turns out his death defeats our greatest enemies. Sin, death, and the devil. We need a king who can deal with our sin and leave us with no doubt that it has been fully dealt with. And I tell you what, next Sunday morning, we will be celebrating that, the empty tomb. We need a king who says, follow me. We need a king who says, friend. Jesus is the king who brings us peace. The peace we most desperately need, peace with God. Something only Jesus can offer. And yet it's a peace that then ripples out into the world around us and into our lives, every corner of it. Now, it's not a promise right now that our life will be peaceful or that we'll have peace and quiet. But it is a promise that one day everything will be put right, that there will be a world peace that we cannot even begin to imagine. It's a promise that right now in the here and now, we belong to Jesus, we're forgiven. But also we can ask others for forgiveness. And pay the cost to forgive others, to bring peace to our relationships. And it's a promise that we can face the world with contentedness and confidence and joy. Even when work or family life or just life itself feels frustrating. Even when our plans go out the window. When life doesn't feel fair, when life feels fragile, when it feels like life couldn't throw any more at you. See, there is a peace peace that we desperately need. And Jesus offers it to any who will gladly receive him as king. Jesus is the king who brings peace. That's our Heavenly Father. As we, as we welcome gladly Jesus as king, as we welcome him into every uh, corner of our lives, would your peace that peace that transcends all understanding, that, that peace that goes beyond our explaining. Would it, as you promise, guard our hearts, guard our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.